Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information about Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T dot com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. And now, here's Cynthia. Well, good afternoon, and welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. This is Cynthia Hyatt, and today we are talking about Fight fairly and keep the peace in your relationships. Is it okay to go to bed angry? Well, we're going to talk about 10 dispute diffusers and types of things for little tips for improving the way that you argue, the way you work out conflict. And so let me give you a scenario. Jane Smith says she and her husband, Joe, married eight years, rarely fight. Well, that doesn't mean there isn't conflict. It's just that she goes on and on in some sarcastic diatribe, uttering phrases filled with shoulds and woulds and coulds, if only. And then it may turn into, this is like what happened three years ago at the Johnson party. And Joe responds like most guys in marriage fights. He hides in the bedroom playing video games or flees the scene. If he's willing to stay and discuss the matter, then he may become so emotionally inflamed that he resorts to, I never do it right. I never say the right thing. You always have a way of turning everything around. What's the point? I'm tired of you attacking me which then turns into, I never do anything right. I never say the right thing. I can't compete with you when it comes to words. So have you ever heard these statements? Well, the author of Addicted to Stress, I think her name is Debbie Mandel, she she really talks a lot about this, that everyone in relationships argue. However loudly you scream or how frequently you fight, that doesn't necessarily predict the outcome of your marriage because what qualifies as fighting fair in a marriage essentially comes down to how each partner feels when they leave the ring. So if both are hardy boxers who love a few rounds in the ring and then they're ready for some makeup sex, that marriage is probably fine. But if people leave the ring bitter and angry and resentful, perhaps it's, perhaps it's time to reevaluate. So you either go together to a therapist or a psychologist or you maybe work on instilling some of these different ways to deal with conflict and hurt feelings and see. So how to keep the peace? Well, here's a combination of experts in the field, as well as many of my own. Here's a different ways that people said it and some of the ways that I say it. So these principles also can be used in all types of relationships, from marriages to coworkers, friends, children, family, etc. It doesn't have to just be in your marriage. So this first one that, uh, as I look through all the different research, there's a pretty big consensus that it's okay to go to bed angry. And I say the same thing to people. I've advocated for this for years. And came to find that several therapists and couples say, forget that adage about always resolving anger before turning in. If this is a couple situation, then let someone sleep on the couch. Because it doesn't mean that your marriage is ruined. It doesn't mean you're going to sleep in separate bedrooms for the rest of your marriage. If that's the case, then again, we may have to look at some, maybe some marriage counseling. So we found that going to bed is often the best choice. And that's what, that, that's what we, when I say we collectively, many uh, practitioners, have found that this is oftentimes the best choice because it allows a partner to clear their thoughts, get some sleep, make a date to resume the fight, which might seem a lot less important in the light of day. 
So we as Christians, though, we have this very famous verse. It's Ephesians 4.26, and it says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you still are angry. So this is a great value to practice and strive for. And it oftentimes indication of a humble, mature, and healthy adult. It's very God-honoring and highly enraging to Satan, to the enemy, when we do it correctly. When it's done in a legalistic manner, as in immaturely, I'm just obeying the law, without spiritual discernment or maturity, it is very harmful. God knows how he designed the human heart, the soul, and the psyche. He's very aware of the intricacies and the complexities, as well as the complications that occur to this complexity due to our selfishness, our immaturity, and just plain sin. So it's imperative that we are able to discern the spirit of the law versus taking the law literally. So many times when I'm talking to clients, I give them this example. You know, 35 miles an hour uh, or 25 miles an hour in, in residential, right? 35 around school zones, these type of things. So if, if you're bleeding to death in my car or if you're having a heart attack and I drive to the hospital 35 miles an hour, and you're dead by the time we get there. Was, was that correct for me to obey that law? See, that law is, is there to create safety as much as it can create safety. But that doesn't mean that every single time that law is going to necessarily always apply. So I need to be mature and discerning of this. So if we look at this verse as it's not a law, but it is a, it is a concept, then we're understanding that Yes, I want to practice that. It's not good for me to regularly go to bed angry. And maybe I need to look at, am I easily offended? Am I immature? Am I being selfish? Am I just not wanting to get over things and let it go? Am I not wanting to be forgiving? Well, that's a whole different issue. And so if I am regularly angry with my spouse, then that's another issue as well. What is going on in the marriage? So we may need to be going to marriage counseling to try to resolve these things. If I am on an ongoing basis, angry or frustrated with my spouse. But if it's, if it's a situation where, you know, this doesn't usually happen. We, you know, I can get irritated and offended and annoyed and I can get over it and go to bed. But if there's a situation, an argument that maybe escalates and it becomes very complex in nature and all of a sudden it's turning into, it's kind of going sideways and it turns into other things and it becomes lots of hurt and it's at night and it's 1030 at night. Well, this is one of those times where we might want to reconsider and just say, you know, we need to end this just now. This is not resolved. We need to revisit this. I am so angry. I am so frustrated that it's only going to get worse. And I am having a hard time even now controlling myself. I need to stop this. So there's a note in, in uh, when I looked in the, my NIV, NIV study Bible that talked about this verse. And it says, there is an anger that is not sinful. But even this must not be allowed to stay and fester and give the devil opportunity. So what this means is, if I am still angry at 1030 at night, it doesn't mean that I'm not to go to bed because I need to get sleep so that I can really work through that emotional issue. It means that when I wake up, the sole intent of that day is that I'm not letting that anger fester and I'm not giving Satan an opportunity. So we must determine as adults what is most edifying and be responsible to get over, forgive, and resolve as quickly as possible. Sometimes quickly can mean a long while, depending on the level of offense, transgression, or hurt. And so it's imperative that I don't move too soon into resolving something and end up having hidden resentments and, and unforgiveness that I'm not aware of that starts to come out as passive aggressiveness. 
Because would we say to someone that is experiencing infidelity, get over it, don't go to bed angry tonight? That may take them years, at least a minimum of one year, to work through some forgiveness if that person has ended that relationship and is repentant. So it's ridiculous for us to use this all the way across the board and say you're never, never to go to bed angry. I mean, God divorced Israel for a thousand years. So, but on the flip side, I would say this to someone that is immature or easily offended and uses emotionality to deflect from growth, you know, and that whole iron sharpens iron thing, and that they're resisting the need to grow up and be a person of humility. For this person, I would say, you know, this is a, you are able, able to recover from this and you need to. Because the relationship is far more important than being right. You know, we have that old saying, do you want to be right or do you want to be in relationship? And so there are many things that are not deal breakers, that are not majors, and we want to practice majoring in the majors and not in the minors. We don't want every offense to be a major. So always remember that God gives laws for protection, guidance, and direction. They're designed to protect the integrity of his creation. Just as the designer of a Lamborghini has rules that govern the use of that phenomenal machine. I mean, you wouldn't four-wheel drive a, a Lamborghini. So you see, following this edict literally can be harmful. And making sure that we are following the spirit of the law when appropriately using this directive. And so we have this other verse that I like to talk to you about with clients. And that's uh, 1 Corinthians 10.23. And this says, all things are lawful for me. All things are not expedient Or all things are lawful for me, but not all things are edifying. Another way is that what this is saying, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is constructive. And so all sorts of, this this whole thing about what's lawful for me, this was all sorts of food were lawful to be eaten. Every creature of God is good. There's nothing common or unclean in itself. This is is where they're talking about that. This is in in the Corinthian church. And Paul is trying to say, you know, we don't want to get caught up in, in this legalism, that everything is lawful to me. But it's important that I'm honoring God and it's edifying of the saints. And therefore, not all things are expedient. Not all things are constructive to be done always or in all places and before all persons. So what we're seeing here is that we can use the the spirit of this particular verse and say, you know, all things are permissible. It's permissible for me to go to bed angry. But is it constructive for me to do that tonight? So it's very important that I'm able to maturely discern what is in the best interest of myself and whoever it is that I'm arguing with. Because I do need to take care of myself so I can be that best version of myself, so I can be the person that God is asking me to be. And if I am terribly hurt, very confused, wounded, tired, exhausted, afraid, and have a big day the next day, would it be edifying for me to stay up hashing it out all night so that I can get over it? When... It may not even be as important the next morning in the light of day. It may take on a whole different, more salient look. So I have a better idea of really what was happening the night before. So it's important that we give ourselves this permission and that we understand that it is about the edification of one another. It is not about following the law. So this passage you know, certainly applied literally to the issue of physical indulgences, but the principle is to protect the weaker saint. That is to say, whatever's permissible to you may not be constructive for your brother or sister. So the directive is to always forego what may be right, what you may be rightfully able to do when the peace and welfare of a fellow Christian requires it. 
So this translates relationally when we discuss gender, temperament, individual's current level capacity, and their capacity may be emotional or intellectual, their verbal ability, their intelligence, their education. Now, this in no way implies a hierarchy, but merely a difference. So how does this translate into relationships? And so we're going to talk a little bit more about this whole idea of what is the common good, what is edifying to one another. I'm always wanting to, to protect the weaker. And so sometimes in my relationship with my husband, I'm the weaker one. Sometimes he's the weaker one. But we're wanting to protect that and to edify that relationship so that we can support it and protect it. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment while we talk more about is it okay to go to bed angry? Thank you for joining me again. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And today, we are talking about keeping the peace in your relationship, fighting fairly. And is it okay to go to bed angry? And so we talked about the Ephesians 4.26 that says, you know, we are not to, we are not to sin. We are not to be angry in sin and sin and to not let the sun go down while, while we are still angry. And we talked about that being a wonderful uh, concept, goal, to strive for, and that would be a very healthy way to be living our life, is that we keep a short record of offense, and we forgive quickly, we move on easily. But the reality of a complex, intimate relationship, such as a marriage or a parent and child, even best friends, um, business partners, if you, you're you know, owner, co-owners, the, this may not be as easy to do, because there may be some very big issues. As well as when two people are very tired, and they start to address maybe an issue that originally seemed like it may be benign, and all of a sudden it just starts to go crazy and starts to just unravel and turn into something that it never was supposed to be, and we start adding on and twisting, and we go back in history. Many times we get so exhausted at that point that staying up and trying to hash it out is only making it worse. And sometimes we need to truly step away, give ourselves some time to breathe, give ourselves some rest, time to pray, some time to just get some space and figure out what the heck happened. And so we have this uh, verse that I like. It's 1 Corinthians uh, 10.23. And it's talking about what is lawful for the Corinthians to be eating or drinking. or, And what this is saying is everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Or another way is all things are lawful for me. All things are not expedient. Or all things are lawful, but all things don't edify. So... And wanting to use this, this verse about not going to bed angry as a great uh, concept, a great practice, that that should be a very big part of our relationship and, and a goal that we are working on on an ongoing basis. And then we are also going to say, but you know what? Yeah, it's lawful for me to not necessarily um, continuing this argument. It is lawful for me to go to bed and I am angry and I am ending this day even if I am angry. Because the sin part of it, is festering. It's festering resentments. It's holding on to offenses. It's being unwilling to forgive. That's, that's the being angry and sinning. The being angry and sinning not is, God, I cannot de-escalate myself. I can't pull this down yet. I cannot forgive. I need your help, guidance. I need some space. I need some time because I am really struggling with this. I am working hard at not having angry, hurtful, hateful 
thoughts about this person while I am in this state so that I can de-escalate. And so we're talking about that this is certainly a level of capacity for us as individuals. And sometimes I'm the weaker one. Sometimes my husband is the weaker one. But this verse about edifying the saints or the fellow Christians is that when someone is in a weaker position, then we want to step in and do the mature thing. So you've heard, I'm sure before, whoever's the most mature needs, needs to take the first step. And so in this way, sometimes, you know, I may not want to let it go. I may have enough energy to keep working on it. And I can see my husband, he doesn't. So one of the kindest, most loving, mature things I can do is say, you know what, we, we need to end this and we, we need to pick this up tomorrow. And then I pray for him. I pray for myself. Sometimes he does the same for me. And so it's important that, that we use this as a way to edify. So what you want to say to yourself, is it edifying for you and your spouse or for you, you know, regarding another significant relationship to stay up arguing and attempting to resolve that matter versus going to bed hurt and are upset? Well, what are some reasons for going to bed angry? I have had this with my husband, and at this moment, I can't believe I can get angry with him. See, I'm writing this. At, when I was writing this, I think, I, I can't ever imagine being angry with my husband. I like him a lot. I can't figure out what he would even do that would cause me to be angry. But what it happens, it absolutely happens. He's very easy to get along with, but however, I do get angry. And thankfully, I've given myself permission to go to bed because I'm a very passionate person. I'm very precise, very articulate So I can have a tendency to need pristine clarity. And if I'm tired or hurt or overwhelmed, things can get pretty crazy. So as a Christian, what are some reasons for going to bed angry? Because we don't want to be legalistic. So the first one is, going to bed angry often avoids hidden resentments due to resolving something too quickly. And usually this occurs with the weaker one in the argument, the one that's more tired, the one that doesn't remember the incident, the one that has already gotten beat up all day by somebody else. And so they become tired or overwhelmed. They don't understand completely where the problem lies. And so they give in to peace. And so this is also sometimes a temperament issue when we have discussed the Myers-Briggs and we have people that are more feeling-based, people that are more thinking-based. And the thinking-based people are all about truth and justice, right and wrong, facts. They're very precise, very decisive. They don't mind debating and it's not a struggle for them. Whereas the feeling-based people, they really need harmony. They really need peace. It is very disturbing for them to not be in harmony in in their close relationships. They are much more willing to negotiate. They are much more willing to defer, to have peace. And so if we have a thinking person in a relationship and a feeling, the thinking person, if they are not mature or on top of themselves, can bully that feeling person into agreeing with them and saying, yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I messed up. And so it's important that we understand temperament. So if you're in a a relationship with a feeling person and you're really trying to hash it out and you're a thinking person, you need to to know them well enough to know they're giving up. And that is not going to be good for the overall relationship. They're giving into peace because they just don't want to be angry and upset and in an argument anymore. That will hurt the relationship in the long run. So the other reason they may be giving in is it, it may be injury. They may have a confidence issue. There may be some codependency. There may be verbal acuity or agility. They just don't like verbalizing and and going around and around. Some of this is gender, right? Men get exhausted uh, more quickly in emotional situations than women do. So there are many reasons why somebody might just give in. 
So what you want to do very much so is avoid that just giving in and giving up because it destroys the integrity of the relationship. If you see your spouse doing that or if you feel like you want to do that, what you would want to say is, I feel like I want to give up right now and I just want to give in. And I know that's not right. So I need to end this conversation. I need to go to bed. And that's the easiest way to do that. Or you say for them, I see it in your face. You're wanting to give up. You're wanting to give in. I really want clarity. And so we can do this tomorrow when you have a little bit more energy and you've thought about it and I've thought about it. So what would be another reason that you would, go, you would give yourself permission to go to bed angry? Well, you may increase the anger and the complications if you don't. There's more to process and work out later. And so the more that you go at it, the more things are said, the more things that need apologies, the more complicated it becomes, the more difficult it is to heal. It's kind of like the surgeon gives time to rest in between surgery or he creates too much scar tissue. So it's important that you gauge what's happening in the argument or the conflict. And once it becomes solely emotional and there are no more facts really in it. It's all about, I can't believe you just said it in that tone of voice, or I know that's not what you meant, or um, we bring up, you know, the past, or or we start saying it, you know, these generalizations, the all or nothing, you know, this never works. I never can talk to you about feelings. I try all the time. You never hear me. Once we get in this emotional argument, it is always best to end those quickly because they only create injury and there is no good information or clarity that's coming from it. So it's imperative that we practice restraint and discipline and we end it and go to bed. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me again in the next segment while we talk about more reasons to give yourself permission to go to bed angry. Thank you for joining me again. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And we are talking about fighting fairly and keeping peace. And we are talking about, actually, there are reasons to go to bed angry, and there are good reasons. So we were just saying, there, we, one of the reasons is we want to avoid hidden resentments because we've given in too soon to resolve it. The next one is, if we keep going, and it's an emotional argument, which means there really are no facts anymore. It's all generalized statements like, I never can talk to you about this. You never hear my feelings. This never works. Why do I even try? You don't really love me. All these types of things. It just complicates things that much more with that much more to resolve. This is best to end this when people are this tired, this hurt, this worn out and exhausted. Another one, you know, this idea about having an emotional argument versus an issue argument or a content or factual argument. Because these are initiated out of a clear-cut concrete issue. An issue argument is clear-cut. This is something like we agreed that we wouldn't spend more than $100 without consulting each other. Or we agreed that you would either go to school or get a full-time job. So these are very issue-oriented arguments. Once they veer from that, an an emotional argument occurs. And this becomes all about the tone of voice, the implication, the reason behind the assumptions I'm making about why you're saying what you're saying or did what you did or didn't do it. These types of arguments are generally founded in past and unresolved injury or their trauma that's producing triggers that are derailing or hijacking the discussion. Or they can be rooted in immaturity and character issues where we're deflecting because I don't want to take responsibility for what's going on with me. So these types of arguments, late at night, never work. 
So you want to just say in that situation, listen, the, the issue that began this argument is we weren't going to spend more money without consulting each other. Let's just start there tomorrow. Let's start with that. And be really willing to stop. And many times it's very hard. There, there's usually one person that cannot let the argument stop. And that is imperative that we let it stop so that we stop the damage that is occurring. Another reason that time truly helps in getting perspective and clarity and regrounding. So many times, couples and parents, friends, coworkers, whatever it was, you wake up the next day and you realize, wow, that's because I was so tired. I was stressed out yesterday. I did not handle that well. It was not that big of a deal. I really love this person. I care about this person. They are not my enemy. They are not out to get me. And how did I get myself in a place last night where it became all that, that they are the enemy? I need to protect myself. They're out to get me and to destroy me. Okay, this is when we realize we are now in a complete emotional realm and there are no facts. Because if that is the case, we have a very different problem. So another reason, the last one here, why, why we can give ourselves permission and know that it might be the healthiest thing for us to do to go to bed angry is that it's like, think of this, it would be ridiculous to tell someone dealing with a major injury or offense, such as an addictions or infidelity or, you know, many times those things go together. Well, and it would be ridiculous for, for us to tell them not to sin, that they're sinning if they go to bed angry. And so it's imperative that you realize, wow, if I'm dealing with something that big, if I have a couple that's working on infidelity, somebody's had an addiction problem that caused maybe huge financial reversals or social embarrassment, public embarrassment, these things take a long time to get over. The sin is if I'm not willing to get over it, if I'm not willing to forgive. Now, that does not always mean we reconcile. Remember, that's a different issue. We always have to forgive. We don't necessarily reconcile. So the sin in my anger, if I'm going to bed sinning because of anger, it's because I don't want to let it go. I have no desire and I'm enjoying thinking those negative thoughts and all the ways I want to get revenge, vindication. These types of things are when I have to say to God, okay, I really need some help with this because that is sin. That doesn't necessarily mean I stay up and talk to the person. But when we have major offenses, they take time to get over and we need to be working on it periodically. So when I have couples that are working with infidelity, they talk about it. Many times they go to bed angry, but they are progressing and they are healing. And so it happens less and less. And maybe by the end of a year, we might actually be able to work on restoring, repairing, instead of just getting over what happened. So as we give ourselves permission to do really what is the healthiest thing for the relationship, for the other person, and for myself, what is the best thing in this, in this scenario? Do I just not want to work it out? So I want to go to bed because I don't want to, I don't want to work it out. Well, then maybe I need to stay up and I need to say, you know what? I don't want you to have to go to bed feeling this way. Let's figure this out. Let's give it a half hour and I'm going to really put my all into this. And we're going to figure it out. But it might be a situation like we've been talking about that the more that I do that, the more damage is done to me, the more damage is done to the relationship, the bigger the foothold the enemy has because he can come in and now truly begin lying, accusing, deceiving, condemning. So it's important as we are gauging where the argument is, where we are at in the argument, what time it is, what our next day looks like, as to whether or not we give ourselves permission to go to bed angry. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk about other ways to keep the peace.
Well, welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia, and we are talking about fighting fairly and keeping the peace in your relationship. And our whole first part of the show was about giving ourselves permission to go to bed angry. So this next part, we are going to talk about what are other ways to keep the peace, other ways to fight fairly. So the first one is take a break. Many times you don't have to end it completely, go to bed. You can just say, you know what? We need to take a break. Let's just take a 30-second break. Can really help a couple push through the, push the reset button on the fight. Stop, step out of the room, reconnect when everyone's a little calmer. And you can say, you know what? I'm, I'm not bailing on this. I am losing control of myself. I am getting so wound up. I am getting so worked up. I really need to calm myself down. And I, I keep talking to you. I can't calm down. So I really need to take a break. And I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to abandon this. But I am not doing well. So I need to stop. So I can say that because then I am now in control of myself. I am now the person I would like to be. And I can go collect myself. You can even say, let's take a half hour. Or you could say, I'm going to go walk around the block for 15 minutes. I wouldn't recommend people get in their car and drive. But you can go step outside. You can go into another room. Wherever you need to go, just take a break. Try to collect yourself. Get back to what is the point of this argument? What are we really trying to talk about? Not all the offended offended feelings about how you talked to me or what you said or the way you presented it or the implications. This is where we need to really go back to the beginning and say, why are we talking about this? So the second one that really, really helps is that you own up to your part of the fight. Two things derail intense fights. Admitting what you did to get your partner ticked off and expressing empathy to your partner. Now, this can be difficult. Typically, it is extremely successful, though. So this is letting down our defenses in the heat of the battle. Seems counterintuitive, but it's actually very effective with couples. We need to remember there is nothing fair in relationships. Because think about God, how willing he is many times. He, he should be offended all over the place, and, but he continues to pursue us. He continues to accept, and we need to own up to our part with him, and he is always willing to forgive. And so it helps tremendously when we're working with our partner, spouse, friends, coworkers, whoever that is. If I just say, you know what, I, I, this is difficult, but I need, to take, I need to own up for this. I did this. I should not have talked to you that way. I didn't address that well. I really lost the program. Um, I, I really need forgiveness. And then I can talk about maybe what started it. Because many times when we start an argument or start a discussion and it becomes an argument, we end up having to ask for forgiveness for the way we handled ourselves. And then we're not wanting to ask for forgiveness for the way we handled ourselves because we're afraid that we never get to the point of why I started the discussion in the beginning. So I can say, I did not prepare myself well for this discussion. I turned it into an argument and I'm sorry. It still is an important discussion for me to have because the point is still important to me. But I derailed this. I took this off in a direction it should have never gone. So can we please take a break? And if you want, we can do this tomorrow. I still need to discuss that, but I need to apologize for how I handled this. Another great way is that I find humor. If you find the humor, it very much helps to de-escalate. So couples need to rely on the ability to detach, to get beyond the moment, the emotion. So can we lighten this up somehow? How serious is this? Is this just an emotional reaction? Is the relationship really this fragile? Am I just tired and frustrated with life? And as a result, I have little capacity or reserves for this interaction. So is it a major? Do I need to table it? 
to a time that is more conducive to success? Or is it a minor that I just need to get past it and start over and do the reset button? So many times, you know, you have to be careful with humor because it can also be, well, you know, ill-timed that can cause more upset. And you have to be careful. Usually if you find humor in yourself that you laugh at yourself or whatever it is you do, and you say, wow, I'm on, that's a bonehead move I just did. I can't, I, I'm an idiot. What, did, what was I thinking? I'm sorry. I was dumb. Then immediately that person is going to, to de-escalate as well. So another one, shut up and touch. Sometimes there's a point where discussing the matter doesn't help. Sometimes it helps to just reach out and touch somebody. Even if it's a friend, your child, or a partner, sometimes we just need to hold a hand, touch a shoulder, give a hug. So it doesn't mean that that you move in and hug somebody so that you stop them from talking, okay? Or that you don't want to deal with it anymore, you just want to do a quick fix. What it means is this is this moment of affection, this type of touch is that I am going to stop talking and I'm just going to hold that hand as a gesture of saying, I'm still on the same side. I'm trying not to be the enemy. I'm trying, I'm trying to make a connection because I can't verbally connect with you. It doesn't mean I'm trying to have sex or something like that. It means that I still love you. You're still important to me. I know you're hurt. I know I'm a part of you being hurt. These things help tremendously. So reconnecting with touch is very important. Another very essential one is I need to ban the but. You know, but this, but that, but you did this, but I thought this, but I was trying. Because many times people often derail a resolution when they appear to acknowledge the other partner's position, but then add a but in their next breath, only reaffirming their position. For example, I understand why you didn't pick up the dishes, but I'm tired of feeling like the maid. Or I'm sorry that you, that that hurt your feelings, but you were so thoughtless and insensitive to me. You know how much that bugs me. So you can see how... By saying that, but, I completely discount the first part of the statement it, it, as if it didn't really matter at all, that I'm just kind of giving it, I'm throwing it out there so that I can get my point back in. So a better way to say something like this would be, you know, I'm sorry that it hurt your feelings. I know I did not respond to you in a healthy manner. Can I explain why I lost the program? And that would be saying, you know, I understand why you didn't pick up the dishes. Can I explain why that is so hurtful to me? So that's very different than but. I'm tired of feeling like the maid. So this, this then justifies that, yes, I reacted poorly or that wasn't a helpful statement. That really didn't give you any support at all. And I want to re-clarify what my feelings are about this versus attacking you. So then again, the next one is very important. This is remember what's important, the relationship. In relationship with any individual, it's always a triune. There's me, there's the other person, and then there's, there's the relationship. This means if it's a friendship, it's me, my friend, and the friendship. If it's my children, it's me, my child, and our relationship. If it's my spouse or partner, it's me, my spouse, and our marriage or union. Which is always, we always include God in that triune. That it's me, my husband, and God. That relationship is that triune. That, that holds that triune. So with professional relationships, community and family, it's a triune. The most important of these is our Lord. It's me, God, it's our unity. And so we soon realized there is more than two beings in the relationship. In fact, we actually have three. 
So as a result, we have to take care of all three. Now, it's amazing the sanctity and pervasiveness of the Trinity in God's creation. So I first want to say, okay, I do need to do good self-care. And I know I beat that one to death many times on this show. But we do have good self-care. Then I want to also care for the other. More, More than anything, I want to care about that relationship. The relationship in and of itself is a huge part of this. So I don't want to just get where we are on opposite sides of the street. We are, we are on this, this same position with one another. And so it's important that I protect that position and that I take it seriously. Another one is very important to stop using generalities. These are all or nothing statements such as, I never say it right, or you never listen to me, as well as, I always have to address this, or I always feel this way when I'm around you, every time I try to talk to you. So similar non sequiturs are those that sound like, you hate me, I'm not as smart as you, you've never loved me, and this will never work. So if this is coming from an adult, what you're hearing is pain of an adolescent part of them because adolescents always think an all or nothing and they usually feel at a great disadvantage in any confrontation or argument unless they employ these non sequiturs. And so this is the type of a non sequitur. It's like, you know, when we're having a formal, it's, these are like logical fallacies is what they call them. And so it's a way that derails the, the, the whole entire conversation that we were talking about this. And all of a sudden now you just hate me. Okay, now I can't talk about the subject anymore. I now have to address that. That has absolutely nothing to do with the subject. And so it's imperative that we keep pulling these back so that we can have successful reasoning. Because these logical fallacies are very hijacking. They kind of take hostage, the the relationship as well. So it's important that I practice saying, okay, I'm hearing myself say these things. I'm obviously feeling young. I'm feeling weaker. I'm feeling like I'm not being heard. I'm feeling like I need to protect myself. And so I'm trying to use these non sequiturs as a way to derail the, whatever the conversation is. Another one. This is very important to use when you are confronting someone about anything negative. Also works with positives. But what I want you to practice is saying, when you and you address the behavior, I feel. If you can't address the behavior and you just talk about your feeling, you're going to start attacking the person. So we had that um, example a little bit earlier about, I understand why you didn't do the dishes, but I'm tired of feeling like the maid. So I would say, when you don't do the dishes, I feel hurt. I feel uh, that it's thoughtless. I feel you don't care. I feel that my needs aren't important to you. This, this is what I'm trying to say in terms of here's the behavior and then here's my feeling. So this is the most effective way to communicate something that's bothering you and something you would like to change. Because after I express that feeling, then I might state something like, I would hope that this would happen. I would like to see this. Uh, I want to see this. If I'm talking to children, I say, I would expect this. Um, And so it's important I, I address the behavior. I say to a child, you know, when your room is messy, I feel disrespected. I buy these things for you. So I'm expecting you to keep your room at this level. We've talked about this before, right? So I'm not saying you're an irresponsible kid or I can't stand that I have to deal with this all the time or this is such a problem. It's so frustrating, you know, you are whatever, using all these different ways to describe character versus the behavior. So the second, the last one actually is understanding your own temperament and gender and dysfunction. So this means I do not indulge in my tendency to be extroverted or introverted, or as we talked earlier about thinking or feeling, 
or sensing or intuitive, all these, all these different, one, different ways that, we, that people are hardwired. So when I'm saying I'm not going to indulge in that gender temperament, what I'm, that means that if I'm a woman and I know I like to process things out to the nth degree, I'm not going to indulge in that if I'm arguing or having an issue with a man. So if I'm an introvert, then I'm not going to indulge in that and just say, you know, I need to think about this. I need time and, to, and space to, to ponder. And then I don't get back to them for two days. So it's important that I understand that this, this gender issue and these temp- temperament issues have a big impact on how we argue, how we process, how we discuss, how we problem solve. So I want to make sure that I'm understanding those so that I'm not getting offended by somebody's gender or temperament, the way they go about talking, the way they go about making decisions, the way they live their life. And so the most important thing that I want to end today's show with is, I love this verse, and it says, If it possible, if it can be done, if it possible, if it can be done, we are to seek peace. But it does not always depend on us. And so we we use God, we use our spirituality, we use our faith to help us understand how can I keep peace? Because sometimes peace can't always be done. But still, it should be an object of desire and we should endeavor to attain it. So we are to look for peace. We are to establish peace. We are to live at peace as best as we can. When we cannot, then we need to fight fairly. We need to have respect. And this whole higher process causes us to be more like the man of Jesus. So this is imperative that you are initiating these, that you are practicing these, you are assimilating these concepts. So I hope this helped, and I hope you have a great week. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia, and join me next week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate and spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay anytime at kpxq1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on 1360 KPXQ.